So I'm with Lotz Felisco, an old friend who uh, runs Oxfam in the Philippines. And we've been talking about the problems of running an international NGO in what is a middle-income country, may even become an upper-middle-income country. Uh, and there's something like a middle-income trap for aid organizations. So I wanted to pick Lot's brains about that. Hi, Lot. Um, tell me about the trap. What's it like trying to run an aid organization in a country like the Philippines? We are dealing with problems that have changed over time. Some problems are now more stark than others. The concentration of wealth in, in a few families, the concentration of political power yeah. uh, that's manifested in, in the perpetration of family dynasties in our uh, lawmaking branches. And then you think, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing there for? I mean, right now we're sitting here on the balcony of a place looking out over and Manila and it's the most extraordinary sunset and you can just see a vast amount of accumulated capital in all these skyscrapers out there so clearly there is lots of wealth in the Philippines but it's badly distributed so I guess the part of the middle income trap is how do you move from thinking north-south and aid transfers from rich countries to poor countries to domestic redistribution distribution domestic politics and what's the role of INGOs within that so do you want to talk a little bit about so if, aid, if the aid tap is turned off, which it will be at some point, and is already being partly turned off, what does that do to, to the work of an organization like Oxfam? So part, part of the reality also of a middle-income country is that we have a government that has enough, that has raised sufficient revenues, actually. You can't actually the spend the money income. it's got, is what they've but, told me. Yes. So, for instance, in our experience, uh, uh, in Oxfam, we have supported local organizations that have successfully lobbied for legislation that would ensure that government finances its own development programs, specifically in the areas of climate adaptation, in disaster risk reduction, and government has done that. It has, uh, if we take one example, the climate uh, adaptation initiatives, through the successful lobby of uh, local organizations with legislators, of course, who supported it. The government now has to allocate every year from its general allocation, 1 billion pesos for climate adaptation Which initiatives. Is $20 million? Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. I can't work it out in my head now, but uh, 52 pesos to a dollar. $20 million, so, okay. Yeah. So then, there's that money, right? But we know also from experience that that hasn't uh, been... That faucet that was supposedly... That tap that was uh, readily available for climate adaptation initiatives to be uh, undertaken by local governments, that tap hasn't been turned on in, in, the, in a manner that would really make sure the money is there and spent. And there's a number of reasons why, but that's just one example. There are other examples of where those revenues exist. And so we're, we, we also are questioning ourselves as to do we focus our effort on raising resources from say aid or maximizing domestic resources and primarily public sector funds that are there that we have lobbied for 
that are not being fully maximized. But it sounds like you answered your own question, that it's the first. I mean, if there's all this money there and it just uh, it's not being implemented because of lack of capacity or incompetence or because people aren't making enough noise, isn't that much easier than to try and access a shrinking aid pot? I wish it were, <laughs> but somehow... But why is it hard? Why is it hard? Um, I guess you can't pay anybody's wages out of that, can you? You can't pay people to do the work. It's hard because then we have ceded the control over that money into local government and government bodies that are not necessarily fully aware of the power that they hold, that don't have the capacity, that don't have um, also the sense of accountability to their constituencies. I would actually start with that last one. That's very difficult to, to generate that political will to do what is very difficult because adaptation is very difficult. It should mean they're doing different things and doing things differently. But then we, because that pot of money is now in their hands, what we can only do from the outside is to push. I think the, the attraction of aid money is to have that sense of control over your own... Control, perhaps, but it'd be hard to argue that aid money is more accountable to the people of the Philippines than government money, because at least the people of the Philippines elect the government. They don't get to elect DFID or Oxfam. That's right. In, in theory, I would say. But in terms of our influence on shaping how aid money is used by our own organizations, it's we more, have more immediate. Yeah. Because it's more within our ambit. It comes with its own difficulties, but at least it's a resource that we hold. Whereas the resources held in the government, we have to continuously push for it to be used effectively. And in the context of the political dynamics in the Philippines, that is such hard, hard work. If you consider that every three years, administrations change at the local government level, it's like continuously starting from... Scratch. Yeah, but every if, two years people change in the aid donors. So, well, yeah. at least we have five-year. Yeah. Okay. Projects. Yeah. I'm not saying it's just, all rosy on the aid front because there are so about, many problems there. Let's talk about the unrosiness of aid. So, you said in uh, when in a conversation we had a while ago that you are getting less and less unrestricted money. That's a big technical, but explain why getting less and less money where you can decide how to spend it rather than money that's attached to contracts for doing particular projects. <laughs> Why that's a problem? To put it in context, I think I'll have to give just a really short uh, background of how civil society has thrived in the Philippines with a very significant infusion of funds from what began as largely solidarity funding, say from trade unions, from farmers organizations, from church organizations, 
that were sometimes uh, channeled through organizations like Oxfam or sometimes done directly. So solidarity funding is just, here's some money, do what you want with it, yes. we trust you. Yes, and with a clearly um, long-term agenda of yeah. change, including political people. change, organizing people, organizing communities, building... And this is the, the, the Marcos years? This is like the 70s and 80s? I would say up till the late 80s. Yeah. So that those were the beginnings of uh, what we now, what has now evolved into the aid uh, industry, if you like, in the Philippines, where NGOs now rely on on INGOs uh, and their back donors, bilateral development agencies, say from the governments of Australia, Canada, the European Union, etc. But that uh, evolution has really brought about change in not necessarily the amount of money, because I would say that one of the what we thought would happen in terms of being a middle-income country is that aid money would fall. We, we actually haven't seen that um, happen significantly in the Philippines yet. And, but now it's all coming through projects with all the activities yes, set out. It's just, it's not necessarily less money. It's a different kind of money. And is it better or worse for you? I would say based on our experience and the experience of partners, it's been very difficult to work with money that comes through the official aid system from bilaterals, back donors in the official aid system. So back donors is DFID gives money to Oxfam yes. International and then Oxfam gives money to you? Yes. Okay. So in the, say in the Philippines, DFID has already exited because we're a middle income country. But other donors are still here. Other governments are still providing funds. Uh, why that's more difficult is because they're more short-term. So we don't have that long-term, um, we don't have that luxury anymore of being able to plan pro programs on a longer-term basis, which we had before when we had the more flexible money from like-minded organizations. So but now... You were giving me some fairly worrying statistics like... 90% of your money, the, the 5 million euros you manage that runs Oxfam Philippines, is restricted yes. as in its, its in particular projects. It may yes. even be higher than that, right? Yes. That one in three, only one in three of the staff are on for permanent contracts. Mm -hmm. Two thirds of the staff are on short term contracts because that's the only way you can employ people under these restricted funds. So it's quite, in, uh, the impre it affects everything about the mm -hmm. organization, right? It changes everything in terms of how we work. We have to plan according to project cycles. We can uh, employ staff according to project cycles. We establish relationships with local organization, organizations based on projects. So you can't keep that permanent relationship either with staff or partners? We, ca we don't have the resources to commit beyond uh, the, a project lifetime. And I think what that uh, brings about in the medium and even long term is that it changes the way we think about change. We've become, we've, we are close to equating or articulating our visions of change in terms of projects that are shorter and very um, specific 
on issues and geography. Whereas, so we, like in when we had more flexible funding, we were thinking more long-term and more integrated and comprehensive. So we throw around these words like transformation and transformative change, but what you're describing is actually a retreat from that kind of vision into a transactional changes of on quite specific things. Yeah, is that the way we're being pushed? We're beginning to see that more and more, and starting to to question ourselves on are we are we actually conceptualizing and developing vision and programs but not having the means and going after the resources that will not match that long-term more more uh, more I would say more more integrated look at what would drive change away from poverty and inequality. I mean, my conclusion from the, this kind of conversation which I've had over the last week is that unless NGOs get off aid dependence and start raising money locally, and they're going to have to, it's not going to be easy, there's going to be all sorts of constraints on what you can raise money for, but that's less bad than remaining dependent on aid. So say the Children Fund raised $2 million last year, but they had to spend half a million raising it, but maybe that's the kind of thing they have to do. You have to go out, do face-to-face -face fundraising, try and get access to middle class, try and get access to religious giving from Catholics or Muslims, find new ways to raise money which don't leave you trapped in this shrinking world of aid projectization. But you're less sanguine than I am about this, right? Only because it will be tough and we need to commit to it. And we need to see it beyond just the giving and fundraising. But to start with, just to say that giving has always been part of Philippine culture. Um, we, we, we also have to, you know, kind of uh, not go beyond the Western model of giving, but understand the more organic, uh, culture-based ways of giving in the Philippines and understand, therefore, how to engage with that. For instance, diaspora giving, corporate giving, um, private giving. You have to understand that. We can't just bring in sponsored walks. No, or even face-to-face -face yeah. fundraising, walk, you know, cold calls. That will not work. We have to understand what works and, therefore, what the potentials are. But that's and how a phenomenal agenda there to actually work out the... To, to, to get away from Western models of fundraising and to develop sort of authentic indigenous forms of funding good progressive social work is a phenomenal it's agenda, a huge, isn't it? It's a huge, very exciting challenge. And the, the further context of that challenge is I think that we have... Giving is just one part of a, of a more holistic engagement strategy, right? Giving is already the manifestation of us being able to harness the support of people for our ideas and the work we do. Traditionally, we have not been very good at that. We have, I think there's been a long tradition of protest in the Philippines and very good at uh, mobilizing protest against 
uh, say, certain laws or practices of government, but to mobilize goodwill to manifest itself in actual support, such as giving. That, I mean, that's fascinating because what I mean, what I hear you saying is that if you have fundraising could make you engage in a different way mm -hmm. with the public in, in the Philippines and in a way that's in a way more emotionally intelligent, more respectful. Um, and that's got to be a good thing, right? It is, yes. If we if we really commit to to saying that this is the future, this is the way we should be engaging with the country and including with the diaspora, then it will lead us down very exciting ways of how we actually widen our reach I think at the end of the day that's that's what we want to see a wider reach that also manifests itself in in actual financial practical support Lord Felisco we're gonna have to stop we could carry on all night and we probably will but thanks very much thank you